Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the Ch of Jericho. And I am Shamian666. Oh, I had a feeling you were going to hear <laughs> Welcome to episode 175, Super J-Cup Second Stage. Dreams come, come true, true again. Again. The Supreme Battle of the Junior Heavyweight uh, Wrestlers. Yes. I mean, I don't know. That's one of the cards they put up. This is a very well put together, nice double tape. This is like the Titanic of Japanese wrestling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is the second Super J Cup, but this year's rendition is produced by Wrestle Association R. War! What is it good for? Out. Probably about 13 good matches. <laughs> It would take place on December 13th, 1995 at Sumo Hall in Tokyo, Japan, with an attendance of 11,500 people. Basically sold out. I think that this is where the original J-Cup was too, right? Yeah. Also Sumo Same Hall, place. also probably sold the heck out. Was it on the first stage? Do they have separate stages? Or is this just called second stage because it's year two? It's just it's the it's second, cool. second one. Oh, yeah, because the third one's called third stage. Ooh, mm. the third one is not the next year, I don't believe. Though, it right? is not. No, it'll be a like it'll be a few years before the. The third. first one was originally actually. Yeah. I don't even know if we'll cover the third and the fourth one because those tapes are kind of hard to find, rare, and they don't really have anybody that we know either. So That's they're not as uh, you know important or uh, magnificent. All the awesome people were stolen and signed to other organizations by that time. <laughs> yeah, who knows. <laughs> but we are in Tokyo, Japan. Totally. So Shane, on our culinary trip around the world, you guys leave Philadelphia. Woo! We get to leave Philadelphia. We all get to leave Philadelphia. Damn right. We are back in Japan for this culinary trip around the globe. And with it... Uh, Feeling like 147 degrees outside. I wanted something cold today because it's too damn hot. Yeah, we're in the land of the rising sun and it feels like we are sitting on the sun here in Oklahoma today because it's just hot and gross and muggy and blah. I know. So, it rained in the middle of the afternoon out of nowhere. At least right here it did. Yeah. I was like, it sounds funny outside. And then it was raining and I was like, and then, as soon as I walked outside and the rain was almost all gone already and it was just like, yeah, I could I could hear the hear the humidity. Humidity rising. Rain will cool yeah. you down here. It just makes everything even more steamy and gross. But what's not steamy and gross is this plate of deliciousness that I brought today, which is from my friends over at Yokozuna, a sushi place here in Oklahoma. Got locations in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Today I went with the Ika salad. It is some thin sliced cucumbers, some. Thin sliced 
octopus. Yeah, it's like this octopus. They put it through like a mandolin. It's so thin. And nice. Yes, thin but meaty and not chewy. Um, there's a little ponzu sauce in there, some ginger, guessing probably some seaweed in there, a little sesame, and then it comes with a lemon twist on top. Uh, when you eat it at the restaurant, typically it comes with sriracha, but I didn't see any on there, so I oh, grabbed I sriracha. Well, no, I didn't say I, I grabbed sriracha out of your fridge. Oh, nice. And dolled it up just because. I got you back. What the house is about sriracha? Exactly. Is it really even a home? <laughs> no, it's not a home. It's just a house. That's right. I don't even like hot sauce, and I have sriracha. Yeah. You I mean, it's one of those ones that's kind of perfect because, like, a little bit isn't hot, but if you use a lot, it's kind of like, it's like, kind of like cayenne pepper. Like day, if you want to add a little heat, you can, but you can add a whole lot of heat with the same thing. Back in the day, you know, you had, it's not TV, it's HBO, it's it's not hot sauce, it's sriracha. It's, yeah, it gets its own name. Yes. That one company, just bloated. If you've, if you've <laughs> never had the green sriracha before, it's actually really good too. Oh, I didn't know that even existed. Yeah. It's harder to find. Uh, you can find some like... Bit of a Trader Joe brands as well. That yeah, theirs is pretty tasty. But yeah, it's there's a handful. Like we're very close to the Asian district of Oklahoma City. There's uh, some markets down there. I've never thought to look at the sriracha there because you just always I always only have it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, green sriracha. Like... If you can find it, it's it's pretty damn tasty. That sounds. Um, this Ica salad here. I've been having this for several years. Yokozuna has been one of my go-to places for sushi, and. This always hits the spot. I like to get mine extra spicy with extra sriracha and maybe a little extra ponzu to it. But yeah, I love and fresh, delicious, crispy. But you know the the octopus. Like I said, it's not chewy like you find with most no, octopus. I had never had octopus before. Oh really? Pretty delicious. It kind of it kind of feels like uh, like the texture of this is if you. It's gonna sound gross when I say it, but but <laughs> this tastes good. What we ate was very good, but the. It feels like a really thin cut, like pork chop. Like if you just mm-hmm. like yeah. cut a pork chop super thin. I was thin. trying to figure out which way you're going with that because you said yeah, this makes just sound the, gross. Just the I'm texture, like, what because like say? nobody wants to eat a cold pork chop. That's like you know that sounds that sounds lame. But the octopus, but like the texture wise, yeah. it's like it's got, thin like and a, it's thin and dense, but like, like texture yeah, good in a way. It's got a bite, but it's not a uh, you like you have to chew it, but it's not tough because with a lot of things from uh, the sea that are not fish. Prepared incorrectly, they can be tough. Absolutely. You mean in octopus, they like, beat the shit out of it with a stick and then hang it uh, from a fucking wire. Well, they did a very good job of preparing this octopus. They beat the it, shit out of it. It was very tasty. Uh, I quite enjoyed the mixture of the cucumber yeah. and the uh, octopus together, the oh. crispiness of the cucumber. And... Love a cucumber. Uh, lemon, always a plus, especially yeah. on something like a cold salad. And then there's some kind of uh, long green things, some some weird noodly looking things in there. I don't know what those are, but they're good too. Always a hit. If you're not a, you know, like you said, you've never had octopus before. This is a, a good introduction for a yeah, lot of people totally because was. it doesn't. It's not intimidating. Yeah, it's thin sliced, so you know it doesn't look like calamari where it would have the little, you know, suction cups or whatever on there. Sometimes you do get those pieces on it, but yeah. for the most part, it's typically meatier slices like this. So. Super tasty. If you're ever in Oklahoma, go to Yokozuna. If you're ever at a sushi restaurant and you see Ika salad on their uh, menu, give it a shot. Salad, give it a try. Absolutely. Definitely a nice light appetizer. Yes. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as Super Jacob, a couple movies would hit the theaters. I get a smile when I saw these. Heat. Yes. And Jumanji. Yes. Would come out a couple of days later. Wow. Very, very funny. 
two big hits at the uh, on the Christmas ranch. season. Yeah, okay. it's so weird to me that Heat came out in December. I know, right? Uh, that's really weird. I mean, I saw a, they're going for awards. Award season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Michael Mann. I like a lot of his movies quite a bit. He is his best movie. Yeah. If it wasn't, yeah, like not my favorite, but it's probably his best. What's your favorite? Collateral Damage. I love Collateral Damage. Collateral Damage is in my top like five of his. No, I know that. Just Tom Cruise. For well, me, no, I mean, I know that one, but okay. I'm gonna see him. Yeah, for me, it goes like Heat Thief, maybe Heat Thief, like Manhunter, Collateral Damage, and those are kind of like tied for third. Collateral, not Collateral Damage. Oh, Collateral. Sorry, Collateral Damage. <laughs> Something else, yeah, but collateral. Like, collateral damage is like a Schwarzenegger movie or something. Like yeah, that. like, a, like a, that's yeah, I was like, like wait yeah, a minute. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a late failed. We movie. all knew what. what <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, Michael Mann, great. But Heat is uh, his crowning achievement in a filmography that is uh, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, he does have some. The Insider. More than I. It's a good ass movie. Yeah, he's. Yeah, The Insider was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Manhunter was good. I love Manhunter. I mean, he did Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I always forget about that one because I think Last of the Mohicans is a good movie. Ali. But it's not, but it's such a dad movie. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, it's just not for me, but I do think it's good and I respect it. Miami it also doesn't feel like a Michael Mann movie. I probably haven't seen it since. Yeah, since, since you saw it on, T- on TNT in yeah. like 94. He wrote a few episodes of Starsky and Hutch. He created Miami Vice and then made a Miami Vice movie way later. I never watched the movie. The movie is weird and kind of awesome. Yeah, I never but he, I think he did it right after. It's either like it's around the Ollie yeah. and Collateral period. So he does like the early like bad looking digital video thing that he did back then, which I enjoy. It's a fucking weird movie. There's some speed boats in it, but they call them go-fast boats, which I think is very fun. <laughs> I don't know why they say that, but I also do like Colin Farrell a yeah, lot. They so... call speed go-fast. <laughs> go-fast boats. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, weird, but fun, and it is not like the show, I don't think. So Even he though he created the show. Wrote and directed the movie Ali. Yeah, Ali's good. I didn't know what was that. Interesting. He got one of the, like, probably one of the only... I like Tom Cruise a lot, but Tom Cruise is like against character yeah. in yeah. Collateral, Collateral, and it one looks of the best Tom Cruise. Yeah, and it's so crazy that it's like, oh, he just did this like one time, and then it was like, no, I'm just gonna go to Tom Cruise again. But it just shows so much, shows the potential that's outside. Let's try the same that. time that he did uh, Magnolia too. Yeah, Magnolia, and then of course. Uh, you know, early, I guess 2000, Eyes Wide Shut. So yeah. it's like, he does have that period in between. Where he kind of like, does some films. Yeah, where like in between the hot, like the heartthrob thing and the uh, I jumped off of a building thing, he has that like section of him doing like auteur stuff or working with auteurs yeah. and to great success. Yeah, absolutely. He was a producer for Aviator as well. Because yeah. he did uh, the Samurai movie, Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, yeah, movie, I never watched which it. Which I really enjoyed as well. I have my problem Negative with that. Producer of Ford versus it's just Ferrari. I'm a big samurai fan, and I'm like, I ain't watching a samurai movie where Tom Cruise is the last samurai. Oh, come on. But he's, I'm sure it's he's, great, he's and I'll watch it samurai, though. I'll watch it eventually. But, uh, you know, I just have this weird bias for, like, no, 
Yeah. I don't watch no samurai movie that's not in Japanese. That's crazy. If you want a Tom Cruise side project, uh, let us know on our <laughs> Twitter or email. Yeah. What's your favorite Tom Cruise movie that's not a Mission Impossible film? <laughs> Few Good Men. Oh, and a yeah, cocktail. Probably. Few Good Men. Mine or, might be. Or like, Risky Business. One too. Risky Business I watched recently for the first time. Risky Business kind of rules. Yeah. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. The score is awesome, too. Didn't mm-hmm. expect that kind of movie to have a score that good. I thought it was going to be fluffier than it was. Because like, it is funny, but it's handled with a little bit more seriousness than I thought. So, the more and more I think about it, Top Gun Maverick might be up there. That's yeah, Maverick was awesome. It's crazy, because I don't love Top Gun. I think the sequel is, succeeds in being a better Top Gun movie. It's a tough one, now that I think about it. Because I loved his character in, in Magnolia. I loved... The only PTA movie I have not seen. Really? Only because every time I think about watching it, I'm like, it's like three hours. I'll get to it eventually. I didn't love it. Be awake. It's don't it's be worth sleepy. at least watching. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's Paul Thomas, Thomas Anderson movie. If you it's don't worst movie. It, it's worth Tom it. Cruise's worst movie though, Rock of Ages. But moving on to moving on to Jumanji. Yeah, yeah, Jumanji. This one I did see in the theater and was on television all the time and VHS and I played the board game and it was inescapable. Yes. Absolutely. All of that. All those things. <laughs> and you guys might have been older and didn't like it, but as a kid, it was like just a staple. It was like, oh, this is just a movie everybody likes, right? I, I remember watching and going, this is a fun movie. I don't know if I loved it at the time. I can actually say that I like the Rock, Kevin Hart, Jumanji's better. Better? Really? I have not seen those. I will agree with that. I didn't think I would, but... Yeah, I, they, they, I, are, they the, grew on me quickly. They are very, very fun comedies. I've heard that. I've not heard any bad things about them. I've heard people be either like surprised that they were positive on it, or just like I guess all everybody's been like, "Oh, well, I didn't expect this to be good, but it was good and fun." Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't expect to like the first one, and I, then I watched. I mean, the first I think one, I went I in. Like, okay, now I gotta see the second. Yeah, I think I went in going, "Oh, it's a Kevin Hart movie. You know, it'll be whatever." But like, The Rock does The Rock. You can't hate the rock. And then Karen Gillan actually I think steals the show. Yeah. Technically. I mean, I like her. I was a big Doctor Who fan for a couple of years and it was the Matt Smith uh, era that I was yeah. that I like got in on and that I had the most love for because that's kinda where I started and then I you know, picked around forwards and backwards and then eventually one of those things just gonna keep going. It's fine. But Absolutely. And wasn't this one, wasn't Jumanji done by, why am I all of a sudden going to Christopher blank on his Columbus. name? Was it Columbus that did this one? I have no idea who directed it. I thought Columbus. it was Christopher Columbus. I thought it was, what's It his also name? had like some early CGI. Like it's definitely John Favreau. John Favreau. I don't know. It is a kind of an effects wonder of the time. Like it, there's some really great effects. It definitely wasn't Favreau because <laughs> Favreau was still being an actor. No, it was Joe Johnston. Oh, of the Rocketeer fame. Yeah. Better movie, but I just love his Rock and Rocketeer one. Why is it even El Favreau had something to do with what else movie? did Jim? Jim oh, Jim John, uh, not Jim, John, uh, Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. He did. Jim he also Johnson. did the Jim first. He did the first uh, Captain America. Captain America, which I was so excited. And they also did October Sky, which oh, is a great oh, one as well. October Sky is good. I still, as much as I have Marvel fatigue, I still really love the first Captain America movie. He did. He did do Jurassic Park three. Which I don't think is the worst Jurassic Park. 
would agree with that. Yes. But that's uh, because they made a lot of Jurassic Parks. But his first film was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, Shrinky Dinks. Joe Johnson. No, sorry. Has a no, has a pretty no. good career. Uh, what? Stuart Gordon, the guy that did Reanimator, he wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and he wanted they were going to have him direct it. His original title for the movie was uh, Teeny Weenies, which is very funny. But like he makes these I'm, like I'm going to say this was probably before Disney got involved. Uh, well, no, Disney like bought it from everything like that. But I think he just realized that he couldn't make the movie he wanted to make through Disney, so he just. Like, okay, just take my script and I'll get paid. Uh, I love Stuart Gordon a whole lot, uh, but I think that it's awesome and funny that he thought that was a teeny wing. What a bad name for a movie. <laughs> he made one of my favorite movies of all time, Reanimator, but and he's like, he's not the kind of guy that handpicked for a kid's movie. If anything, Joe Johnson did a great job, but Joe Dante would have been the guy you wanted for that Inner Space, which I still haven't seen. Well, we have one more thing to oh cover my here. Gosh. What? The same week that you're listening to this episode, mm-hmm. we have a birthday in the house, guys. Shane O'Max. Oh, I was like, oh hey. Happy birthday, buddy. Uh, he didn't Woo. even know. He didn't even know. And he's, and he's even going to get his birthday present live on oh, air. Oh, that's nice. Oh, Shasquita. That's fun. Matt, you're so, such an what organized you man. I find it so impressive. Oh, my damn. Oh, wow. I got me a cash. Cash Wheeler, if you're listening to the show, which I know you are, because why would you not? Because you've got so much time to spend. A, I love you. And B, I love you, Matt. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, now you, you have You know how long it. it's been since I've gotten a an action figure? And this is my first AEW. And it's in plastic, and it's in the box. And it's autographed on the back and everything. <laughs> oh, we do nothing but inbox. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, I I think that the best gifts are gifts that you wouldn't buy for yourself. So, like, giving somebody an action figure is a fun thing to do. Because it's like, I mean, I'm not going out there and buying action like figures. But whenever somebody gives you an action figure that is a, like, thing that they know you love yep. is great. Because it's a gift and you have an out it's not like I can't believe I bought an action figure. Yeah, like, but it's a good couple game. more belts because he's, he's uh, missing a couple. Yeah. He has a he has a few more. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm sure that there's some Rock? website that sells uh, custom uh, action figure belts. This makes me happy. Yeah, that's great. That's really awesome. Old cash. It's crazy how uh, good wrestling action figures look now and how bad they uh, looked not too long ago. Back but when we thought they looked good, <laughs> you, we had to get to the point where adults bought action figures for them to look good. Yep. Mm-hmm. And also, Todd McFarlane has a lot to do with it. Uh, just, you know, even though he's not making wrestling figures or whatever, him making nice action figures in like the 90s is kind of the beginning of all of that. Right. That's awesome. Good job, Matt. Happy Very birthday, Shane. I know it. Thanks, y'all. Uh, Who else we got on the back here? So go out there and. Uh, Lance Archer. Cameron, go out to Twitter and Dad. wish ha- Shano a happy birthday as well. On our Twitter. I'll definitely post a picture of this in the box. All right. Well, let's... We got a lot of show, boys. Let's move on to Super J-Cup. Second stage. We get a screen with the date and location. And it says the first stage, which we covered on episode 114. Holy crap. Is shown. We then get shots of all of our competitors for this evening before hearing some words from them as well. But most of them are in Japanese or Spanish, so don't have a lot of these. We have 
two and a half English speakers on this show. I will not lie. I hit the forward, forward. Oh, I totally, ex- did. totally expected you to. Too. We absolutely. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can get the, in the first few seconds, you can get the vibe yeah. of their promo. And the ones after the match are more important. And uh, we still skip those two guys. We do get Lionheart saying thank you to the fans. And Wild Pegasus thinks that Japanese fans are the best. Thanking them as well. We then get a shot of all of them in the ring before it goes to more highlights of our competitors. And it says, the supreme battle of the junior heavyweight wrestlers. Potential. Hyperbeat. Junior cup. I mean, these are just things, English words uh, on flashes of Japanese, like interspersed between splashes of Japanese words. Very well put together tape. We then get the date and location of this show before seeing the crowds rush into the building and buying merch. Cool shots of uh, just Sumo Hall and people... I love when a show takes the time to get like the candid shots of people like entering the building, and it just adds to the grandiose of it all. Like, and this is a show that is very much deserving of that, considering it's a sellout to one of the like most important wrestling shows of the '90s. Yes, we get a shot of the bracket for the tournament, and there are 14 men in it. So a couple of people are going to get a bye into the second round. And we'll see that as we go along. We then get longer interviews with each of the wrestlers, which, again, still in Japanese or Spanish. But Lionheart does say he has been waiting his whole career for the second J-Cup, which I was like, you've been wrestling longer than two years, (laughs) Mr. Lionheart. Yeah, he's happy to be here, guys. But he's going to show tonight why he's one of the best junior heavyweights in the round. He talks a strategy for his first-round matchup but he'll be surprising everyone else along the way. Pegasus then says he's coming back even better than last year, which he won the previous year, so he's even better. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Better than better than the best? It's been uh, 600 days since the last tournament. It's bigger than Super. Uh, Mega Super? Uh, gigantic? <laughs> Ultra. No, Ultra, Ultra sounds right. Yeah, that works. And while Pegasus continues saying he's very confident about being victorious again, we then go to the arena where we get some techno music and a light show as all of the competitors come out to the ring. And where Ultimo Dragon, who is the big guy in war at this time, so him and Liger teamed up to be the to be the producer bookers of yeah, the show. Liger was the lead on the first show and created the whole thing. Ultimo Dragon. It's like, oh, well, we, we're going to do a second one. Let's uh, share the wealth because it's a celebrating people from all over the world. Yep. So it like, would make sense for it to move Probably around, around which yeah. I thought was really neat. But Dragon takes the mic and talks to the crowd, but it's in Japanese, so no clue what he said. But we go straight to our first match. Grand Nanawa. Versus Damien666 in a first-round matchup. Naniwa of uh, Michinoku Pro and Damien of FMW. I just want to, you know, name the promotion each person. Absolutely. Damien does some Hogan posing Does he ever? when he enters the ring. But when the bell rings, the crowd is chanting for Naniwa. He's our comedy guy. Both of these guys are comedy guys. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. They are definitely it's both Grand Nanawa. 
is a crab. Is that what he is? Yes. I was not sure what his gimmick was, except for he has that crazy mask, and I guess it does look like a crab. Yeah, and then at one point they did like a what I thought was like a Space Invaders walk, but yeah, I it's guess a crab, it's a crab walk. walk. It's a crab walk, yeah. yeah. It's very, and uh, like the Damien has black metal makeup where it's like, you know, the like Sting, but you know, a little yeah. more evil looking. Six, six, six. But then he also has like side ponytails. It's very funny. But as the crowd's chanting for Nanawal, Damien threatens to walk until they cheer for him. So then Nanawal threatens to walk as well. But they both get back in the ring where they do some more Hogan posing until Damien offers a test of strength only to have his hands slapped away, which he oversells. That's the comedy. The two begin to run the ropes when Damien screams, Choshu! Before hitting a vicious lariat and applying a scorpion deathlock. Uh, we've got comedy, but we said vicious. These guys can work. Only for Nanawa to make the ropes. So Damien666, his gimmick basically is that he yells the name of the person who's gonna, who he's going to do the moves of. Yeah, okay. it's very funny, and I caught it. Not on this first move, but throughout the match, uh, I noticed it and uh, thought that it was very funny for a few reasons, because it's a funny concept in general, but also because that tells the other guy what he's going to do, because like, it's like, oh, I got an idea of the signature moves of these men. Exactly. Damien then screams out, Tenru, and starts to nail some chops in the corner, followed by loads of weak kicks for a two count. Damien screams out another name before hitting multiple hip attacks. And then he Kikuchi. keeps... I'm kidding. I, I, I couldn't... I didn't recognize the name right away. But it was somebody that does hip tosses. Yeah. Or hip... Uh, not hip tosses. Damien hip keeps up the attack with a snapmare for a two count before applying a chin lock, which Nanawa escapes to send Damien to the ropes, only for him to leap up and over a charging Nanawa. Damien with a head scissors takedown and a rope walk arm drag that sends Nanawa out to the floor. It's like he's doing dead man stuff as a dead man. I know. It's old school. Old school. Why didn't you yell out Taker? <laughs> Damien hits a tope suicida, returning to the ring where Nanawa returns as well with a sunset flip for a near fall. Nanawa with a top rope bulldog before backdropping Damien out to the floor, falling out with a top rope plancha. Back in the ring, Damien screams out, Masawa! to hit some elbows followed by a rolling elbow for a two count. Damien then screams, Muta! Which means we're getting a body slam and a moonsault, only for Nanawa to avoid and deliver a hurricanrana for the pin and the win. So after the match, and after each and every match, we get interviews with both men. Yes. Which is great, but we do not speak Japanese. Yes. Or Spanish, because uh, we get a, we have a Spanish speaker in this in this group of men. Yeah, I uh, barely, I can very poorly speak some Spanish, and understand a little more than I can say, but not enough to keep under... up with Damien. Exactly. Yeah. So we go to our second match: Masaki Mochizuki versus Shinjiro Otani in a first round matchup. Woo! I love. Anytime I get to see Otani in a squared circle. So, Masaka, Masaki uh, of War, Shinjiro, New Japan. But you guys already knew that. Correct. Uh, Masaki in the Gi. Yes. And then Otani in the Black. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So we haven't seen Sinjiro since Best of Super Juniors 95, back at episode 157. So it hadn't been that long, but... Yeah. We watched more New Japan. As far as, like... New Japan's you, kind of our, our Japanese go promotion. Yeah, that's the... the that of all, A little bit easier for us to find that stuff. Yeah, and we focus on American wrestling, but, I mean, New Japan is easier to come by, and you can jump in and out. And it has some of the more recognizable names to people in America. And I'm starting to recognize some of these people just by seeing them, too, uh-huh. which is making me happy because it came in very handy when I couldn't understand what people were saying. So I was trying to figure out, all right, is it this who I think it is? Wait, yeah, I recognize his face or his eyebrows. Or in this case with Otani, I remembered his just, he's got like a baby face, but then yeah. just like a, a tiny a face or build. And a tiny chin. Mochizuki comes right out with a leg lariat and a series of knee strikes in the corner, followed by a leg sweep into a grapevine, which Otani reverses into one of his own, only for Misaki to reach the ropes. Mochizuki with more stiff kicks, only for Sinjiro to kick his leg out from under him and begin to stomp on him. They continue by exchanging slaps and kicks. Those slaps look fucking shoot. Mm -hmm. Those are just actual slaps to the face. It is insane. I love... We've liked Otani a lot, but this is the most intense Otani we've seen, and both of these men come out uh, with the hot shit. Yes. They're laying it in. Otani hits a spinning heel kick and begins to work limbs with a leg lock and a grapevine. Once back to their feet, the two trade waist locks with Mochizuki hitting a bridging German for a two count that even Sinjiro was kind of surprised about. Yeah, uh, he's, he's in shock. He's like, ah, I can't believe he fucking pulled that off on me. That was almost too quick. Masaki's kicking the shit out of Otani when he finally fires up to lock in a Wakakatami armbar when Mochizuki reaches the ropes. Sinjiro looks to work the arm some more when Masaki breaks out of it with a leg lariat before nailing a double springboard in Siguri for a near fall. I mean, come on. And he's still selling his head from the previous German, too. Uh, which is fucking nice. Mochizuki hits an axe kick, but Otani no-sells and comes back with a drop kick to the knee before delivering a springboard drop kick to the knee. Sunjiro then locks on a leg grapevine for the submission and, and the win. win. I mean, come on, guys. Respect. That was a fun match. It's good shit. Like, a thing about this show is sometimes we'll be like, oh, there was no commentary. This show doesn't need any commentary because it's all in the mat. I honestly think that commentary, if it was in Japanese, commentary, if it was even in uh, English, like, is, would almost take away from this show because everything that's done is so understandable. Like, it is not sloppy wrestling here. Yeah. Even the comedy wrestling was high action. So we go to our third match. Shochi Funaki versus Ultimo Dragon in a first round matchup. Yeah, and see, I was looking at Funaki when he first popped up on the screen, and it was, I recognize him. Is that who I think it is? Because I haven't seen him wrestle in forever. And then I was looking at the tights, and then they showed his face, and then the eyebrows, he did something with it. And it's like, oh yeah, that's Funaki. <laughs> Funaki of uh, Michinoku Pro and Ultimo Dragon, basically our curator uh, and the lead junior in war. 
He was their champion, their junior heavyweight champion at the time, along with being the NWA world middleweight champion at the time of this show. Huh. And we hadn't seen Dragon since the WCW New Japan Pro Wrestling Super Show 3, which was episode 81. Which might have been the first time we saw Ultimo in our show. It was. Um, As Shane mentioned, Funaki, he goes on to be in the WWF, part of Kai and Tai. And is actually still there as one of the Japanese commentators yep. on their yep. premium live events. And has been for a long time. He makes a, a, f- a few fun appearances in the uh, Edge and Christian show that totally reeked yep. of awesomeness. Where he's the old announcer self with mm-hmm. Finkel's voice. Oh wow. Yeah. That sounds fun. I never watched that, but I know people like it. It was a fun show. Yep. Highly recommend it. Ultimo shows off his nasty side to begin. Hitting a drop toe hold and just walking over Shochi. Ah, I love it. He does the correct version of uh, who is the logger guy that did the dumb stomp and WCW. Big Josh. Big Josh. Yeah, this is the like. The, yeah, this is the like <laughs> the fun version. That's like he's being shitty to the guy. It's not like he's flexing on him more than he is like actually trying to hurt the guy. He's just like, all right, you know, fuck you. I'm better than you. And his. I'm trying to figure out, was Dragon a heel, or was he just a badass that just... It was like, oh, you're beneath him. It was more, I think, beneath him, because Funaki wasn't a big name yeah, at this yeah. time, and Ultimo Dragon is huge name, fucking yeah. Ultimo Dragon. And, yeah, and they shook shook hands before, which most of these matches have uh, a handshake. It is in a promotional tournament, and, you know, honor. That's what it says in the web, Merriam-Webster's next to Japan. Says honor. <laughs> Ultimo follows up with a springboard crossbody, only for Funaki to retaliate with a Wakatame armbar momentarily, before transitioning into a victory roll for a two count, and then into a leg grapevine. Dragon rolls out to escape, so Shochi fakes a tope, but then leaps over the ropes with a pescado. Back in the ring, Funaki with a drop kick to the knee and goes back to the leg grapevine, while Ultimo breaks free. For the two of them to trade strikes until Dragon is taken down into a headlock. The two go back and forth with leg locks until they're back to a standing base where Ultimo sends Shochi to the ropes and goes for a Hurakarana. But someone doesn't get the message, so it looks really bad. It is a nasty looking black head scissors takedown. Uh, yeah, that one uh, was probably technically a concussion. Dragon follows up with a springboard moonsault for a two count, followed by Funaki rolling Ultimo up for a near fall, before going into another grapevine, only for Dragon to immediately make the ropes. Shochi with a back suplex and a fisherman's buster for a two count, but Ultimo comes right back with a buster of his own. Ah, and the crowd loves it. Dragon stays on the attack with a clothesline, setting Funaki on the ropes to hit a top rope hurricanrana. Followed up with a DDT and a moonsault. Ultimo then wraps up Shochi into a La Magistrale for a pin. And, and the win. win. I uh, always, I'm like, what is the name of that roll-up? La Magistrale. I know. There's so many interesting and creative roll-ups in this show. I'm like, what is the name of that one? Yep. The, like, where you are using your legs to lock their arms down. And the thing is, they're Let also say, half Half the... <sighs> Research of watching the show is just trying to figure out what the name of, of some of the moves are. Well, that makes me feel better because uh, I feel like I can name most things, or I'll be like, "Oh, that is a like modified 
version of X yeah, or I'll whatever. Just, I'll go the old school route and just say, you know, wow, what, what a maneuver. maneuver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a maneuver. Uh, yeah, I, it's, yeah, this show, at this point, I'm just like, incredible. I love the, everybody's laying it in. I love the realness. I love the fact that they never stay on the floor for long. And whenever they do, like, he faked it, faked going to the floor before going to the floor because it would have been, the guy would have moved if he did it the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get back in the ring. Like, they sell the moves on the floor, but they get back in the ring. They're not, like, brawling or whatever. Uh, and I love the catch wrestling because everyone's good at it. Everyone's good at this, uh, like, map maneuver stuff in a such a realistic way. See, I want to say this was where you had texted us and said something about I'm only on match three, and I'm loving the show already. And when I started watching it, I watched the first match, and was like, okay, okay, start with the comedy match. That's the right place. And then we got to the next one, and was like, all right, yeah, they're getting into it. And then, yeah, you're like, oh, okay, it's on. Okay, now I totally get it. Uh It's like when you slowly open uh, like uh, a can, it's like, and then you get the crack, (laughs) and you're like, all right, well, we cracked at match three. It's a good sign. So we then go to our fourth match: Gato versus Masha Yoshi Motegi. In a first round matchup, Gato of War and uh, Motegi from Social Progress Wrestling, which I know nothing about. I don't either, but I do know Motegi is the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion at this point. It's good for him. So we've got the World Junior and the World Middleweight Heavyweight Champion both in this contest. Yep. yep. I like it. So we haven't seen Gato since the previous year's Super J Cup. Episode 114. I forgot he was even in it. And Masha Yoshi, we haven't seen him since Best of Super Juniors 1. Episode 119. I don't have a strong memory of him either. I don't either. He was in one one of those like super shortcut matches. That yeah, happened. okay. I know we'd seen Gato before, but I didn't know exactly where. Chunky Gato, such a good look. Look at that cloth on him. Yeah, yeah. and he's not like fat. He's just like thick, and he has that like wonderful bleached hair because we know gato is like being like kind of skinny skinny ripped with like a shitty beard mm-hmm. and see i kept looking at him thinking he looks like a lesbian he does yeah he looks like a card carrying like you know subaru driving cargo short yeah uh lesbian. Like him and bull nakano would make a great tag team oh my god they look but... great together <laughs> So the two men trade shoulder blocks early on before they begin to run the ropes, leading to Motegi delivering a back kick, a belly-to-belly suplex, and a drop kick that sends Gato out to the floor. Masayoshi, with a tope suicida, grabs his belt and starts nailing Gato in the arm with it before tossing him into the ring post multiple times. I know they uh, posted, posted, but the crowd is booing... uh... Motegi, granted Gato's in war, but it's because he was using the belt. And he's just like, ah, whatever, fuck you, and he throws the belt. That was very nice. Very nice character work. Back in the ring, Motegi with an arm breaker, a snapmare, and some kicks before locking on several different arm locks to keep up the punishment. Gato rakes the eyes to escape and starts pounding away with elbows and headbutts. But Mashiyoshi regains control after one shot to the hurt arm and begins to work it over. Once again, Motegi with a snapmare, a hip toss, and a head scissors takedown to send Gato out to the floor, where Masayoshi hits a Pescado before bringing Gato back into the ring with a vertical suplex. Masayoshi then heads up top for a drop kick 
for a two count. A brain buster for a near fall, but then charges into a boot in the corner, allowing Gato to nail a drop kick that puts Mategi on the mat. And Gato finally gets a shot in. Going up top, missing a diving headbutt. Oof. So Masayoshi capitalizes with rolling German suplexes for a near fall. Motegi with a tombstone pile driver and heads up top again, only to miss a diving headbutt as well. So he tries for a hurricanrana, but Gata reverses into a powerbomb and locks in some kind of butterfly hold for the submission and, and the win. win. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to call that because it's kind of like think of a like reverse almost like a seated half no seated full nelson yeah but it's like inverted so he's going like uh over the yeah if you're sitting on the mat and someone's got you behind he's behind you like they're gonna do a reverse chin lock instead he's got instead of the nelson going under the arms he's going in front of you locking his arms behind your back so it kind of like pushes like your neck and then pulls your arms your your shoulders up yeah so it's bizarre to where it's like is it an arm thing or like some kind of bizarre neck crank or is it a combination of the two yeah. it doesn't look bad it's no. just weird and i don't know the name of it sort of like inverted nelson i could not find a name for this one yeah it is the gato special we then go to our fifth match el samurai versus dos Caras in a first round matchup Dos Caras means uh, two faces. Uh, he's got a mask, so I don't know if you ever... The two faces thing is that he doesn't have it, or maybe he's got a split personality, or maybe sometimes he's feeling facey and sometimes he's feeling healy. But he does hail from CMLL, and uh, El Samurai is of New Japan. Caras is also the father of Alberto Del Rio Ooh. and the brother of Mil Mascaras. Wow. Did not know that. While also being a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. I mean, with uh, if you're the brother of Bill Moscaris, you'd like to think the guy could wrestle. Yeah. Uh, turns out he can. If you're the father of Alberto Del Rito, uh, you should have beat his ass a little bit more when he was younger because he grew up to be a prick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dos Caras is like a snicker bar away from like heavyweight. He is the most oh, barrel, he's the heavyweight in CMLL. The most he is a barrel chested fucker. Like yeah. he has the upper body of a like seventies like he his upper body is like what if Dino Bravo uh, like only ate chicken and rice? It, uh, it's impressive. It did make me happy though reading the notes and finding out that that was Alberto's father because I kept looking at him thinking it looks like Alberto Dorio, but I knew that he was related somehow to the Mil Mascaras family, so I figured that. Dos Garas was in there somewhere, and yeah. So the last time we saw El Samurai was at Collision in Korea, episode 161. And the match gets going as Dos Garas takes Samurai down and begins to spread his legs uh, in some sort of submission move. I'm... Yeah, it's kind of like if your legs were a diamond and someone was pushing your knees. When we, when we say that we had to do some research for submission moves, it's mostly the Dos Caras uh, matches because this dude puts on some... Crazy, crazy stuff. They all look incredible. He is fucking smooth as shit. Yes. El Samurai makes the ropes to break the hold. The two then trade arm locks until Karas delivers a flying forearm for a two count. It's a big four. Before locking in an elevated stump puller, which Samurai powers out and delivers a vertical suplex for a near fall. Dos Karas goes back to wearing down El Samurai with a hammer lock with a leg across the neck. 
before transitioning to a surfboard. surfboard. But Samurai reaches the ropes and rolls to the floor to regroup. Back in, El Samurai with a shoulder block, but Karas comes back with another flying forearm and a drop kick, sending Samurai out to the floor where he follows out with a tope suicida. They make it back into the ring where Dos Karas takes El Samurai down into an elevated inverse butterfly lock with a leg hold. But Samurai powers out to deliver a leg drop and a pile driver for a two count. The two start to run the ropes when El Samurai telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Karas to turn him over into a backslide for a near fall, before grabbing another hammerlock, hooking the other arm and rolling forward, hooking a leg as well on the way down for a cool-looking pin attempt for a two count. It's completely amazing because it's like you... It looks like um, a like diagram. Like if someone was like, I'm going to draw how to do wrestling moves. And it's like step one, step two, step three. But you see them all and they happen so fast. And you're like, I don't even know like what he did. Flip books. Yeah, I, I saw it all happen, but I still don't understand how he did it. Yeah. And like how he did it to where I could understand it. And uh, why other people can't do it or don't do it. Because it's really impressive. It's all in the mask, baby. And it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel, or like, doesn't feel like they're cooperating. It feels natural because, like, I uh, love wrestling, and a lot of stuff these days does look like a lot of cooperation. And Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at it. Sometimes it goes too far, and but in in the moment, if they build up to it, it's fine. But this just seems so smooth. Samurai stomps away when he gets back up before hitting a power bomb for a near fall, followed by a drop kick in the corner. El Samurai then sets Dos Caras on the ropes to hit a, a top rope hurricanrana for a two count. I love that the ref counts in Spanish, uh, which <laughs> I think is just a nice touch. Followed by a body slam and Samurai then heads up top, only for Caras to avoid a diving headbutt. Dos Caras then heads up top and delivers a crossbody for the pin and, and the win. win. I mean, we don't know a lot about Dos Caras, uh, El Samurai is a uh, early staple of duty pan and junior heavyweights rising in popularity and it's a huge win i would assume and probably a surprising one for a lot of people just uh just saying it's very possible we then go to our sixth match hanzo nakajima of michinoku pro versus lionheart of war in a first round matchup and i've just said lionheart this entire time but he's better known as Chris Jericho. He's Chris Jericho. He's got more names for himself than we could ever remember. The Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla. The Demo God. The Wizard. Judas. I don't know. Is yeah, that one of them? Sure. <laughs> Chris Jericho changes his mind. The Pain Maker. Every fucking the six. Millennium Man. Every six hours. But Chris Jericho savior. is a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. Woo! And I'm sure at some point he'll be in other be lots of stuff. He'll yeah. be in other ones as well. Yeah, maybe one day. So Lionheart flips the bird before they go into a standing switch reversal sequence, before Jericho delivers an arm drag. Look out, baby! Chris Jericho loves to yell. Oh yes. Lionheart starts working on the legs, followed by a vertical suplex. Hanzo comes back with a spin kick and applies a leg grapevine, only for Jericho to make the ropes. Lionheart with chops and a lariat, but Nakajima recovers to hit a hip toss, a senton, and a moonsault 
before going into a top turnbuckle headstand, which he turns into a head scissors takedown. I love the headstand because he like does the headstand. And you're like, why did he do that? But it's he's just baiting him in. Yep. Because he's like, oh, well, I'm obviously exposing myself, and you're like, well, that just looks like he's. Look at my perfect form on this top turnbuckle. Yeah, and then uh, Jericho, as Jericho walks in, he drops down, perfect timing, to where his legs are right where his neck is. It's They don't correct for distance or anything. It's just right on point. And you're like, oh, incredible. Jericho fires back with a lariat in right hands when Hanzo ducks a clothesline and nails a hurricanrana for a two count. Nakajima with another spin kick that sends Lionheart to the floor. Followed by a baseball slide and a tope suicida. Ooh, I love a fucking baseball slide. Back in the ring, Hanzo with a snap suplex and heads up top. But Jericho meets him there to drop kick him out to the floor. Followed by a springboard splash to the outside. That was a pretty sweet move too. Just yeah. a little drop kick off the top rope because through and what's his face? Uh, Hanzo to the outside and then Jericho back nicely bouncing into the ring. And yeah, it was... Pretty beautiful. Yeah, everything about this shit is smooth and believable. I thing to point out, like every time these guys go to the floor, they don't like half-ass it. It's not a weak dive to the floor. There is a like maybe three or four foot pad around the ring, mm-hmm. but I would say eight times out of ten, these guys are landing on the concrete. Yep. Uh, they are. They're not half-assing. This is. A sold-out show to one of the like most successful events in recent history. Uh, everyone's bringing it. They make it back into the ring where Nakajima takes Lionheart down with a drop toe hold, before rolling him up for a two count, followed by coming off the top with a crossbody, only for Jericho to use the momentum to roll through for a near fall. Lionheart would then deliver a fisherman's buster and a lion salt for the pin. And, and the win. Are you ready? Chris, Chris, yeah, he loves to yell to the to the crowd. Yeah. And all his babies. I just recently found out that's kind of where Adam Cole yep. got the baby thing because Chris Jericho would say it all the time, and he said Adam Cole baby, but then eventually, you know, broke it up to be more hubristic. Again, something mm-hmm. he probably got from Jericho in his a game. So we do get. Like I said earlier, there's interviews. We understand. And we understand We understand one of them. So yeah. Lionheart, Lionheart says, Nakajima was just a speck on my shoulder. So I'm looking at you now, Pegasus. Tonight's my night, and Pegasus is going to regret ever getting into the ring with me. So that's a second round matchup to look forward to. Absolutely. That's your future goat right there, man. That kid is showing what he can do. We then go to our seventh match. Grand Nanawa versus Jushin Thunder Liger. Grand Nanawa of Michinoku Pro and Jushin Thunder Liger. New Japan guys, we all know this. And this is the beginning of our second round. Of our quarterfinals, yes. The last time we saw Liger was the first episode of Nitro, back in episode 164. It seems like it's been a while. I mean, it's been about 10 episodes yeah, I mean, so. you know, it always, too like, yeah, it's, it's always too long. Match gets going as Nanawa attacks before the bell. Drop kicking Jushin while he's posing to the crowd from the top turnbuckle. Nanawal then climbs up to Nella Hurakarana, sending Liger out to the floor to regroup. But Nanawal just flies off the top rope with a plancha before rolling Jushin back into the ring to deliver a missile drop kick. It's good shit. Nanawal keeps up the attack with a 
Crab Bomb. Bum, bum, bum. Which is a gut wrench power bomb. Grand Wild were like, yeah, he's doing comedy stuff. He can go. And he showed that in the first match. But here he's like, well, it's Jushin Thunder Liger. Yeah. Like, I have to come in hot because he's one of the best to fucking do it, ever do it. And uh, I don't have time for this comedy. We did that in match one. That's right. This it's Liger, go time. Liger is no Damien 666. No. He is uh, Jushin fucking Thunder Liger. Yeah. Nanawa hits a backbreaker and goes to the second rope to do a crab walk across the ropes before jumping off with an elbow drop, but Jushin avoids and waves his finger in dismay. Uh, uh, uh. Liger's on the offensive now, stomping away on Nanawa before going for a clothesline, which the crab man ducks, and nails a hurricanrana for a near fall. Nanawa tries for another rana, only for Jushin to catch and dump him with a powerbomb before doing a crab walk of his own. I know, I even wrote crab walk, but didn't realize that Naniwa was a crab until you told me earlier in the beginning of the show, but in my notes, like, it's in his matches. The word crab comes up multiple times. Liger, with a released German suplex, applies a surfboard with a dragon sleeper, only for Naniwa to escape with an eye poke before locking on the exact same surfboard. And the eye poke is, like, visceral and not for, like, comedy purposes. He's like, I just want to have to do it real quick. Jushin powers out, but Nanawa transitions into the same kind of butterfly hold that Gato used earlier. Which we should have a name for. We should. What, what can we, what do we want to call it? I just call it a butterfly hold, so. Yeah, I guess that's fine. <laughs> Only for Liger to reverse into a modified surfboard before transitioning into a camel clutch. And some of these, like, modified surfboards, I'm like, well, Never seen that before. Some of them are just like some really interesting ones in the, throughout this show where I'm like, they're just stretching people. They're stretching. They're stretching people, but it, there's no nothing goofy about it. No, and it beats a you know a, a chin lock or a yeah trap hold. And even there's no trap holds here, but even <laughs> the chin locks look good. Oh yeah. Jushin lets the hold go, and Nanawa begins to fire up with right hands and a flurry of slaps before delivering a lariat and a DDT for a two-count. Nanawa locks in a head scissors, which Liger escapes and goes to a headlock, which Nanawa escapes by shoving Jushin away and nailing a stiff lariat. Nanawa with a drop kick sends Liger to the floor, where Thanks. he follows out with a rolling senton from the apron. Fuck, man. Nanawa can fucking go. This guy's really good. Back in the ring, Nanawa hits a body slam and a top rope splash for a near fall, followed by setting Jushin on the top rope for a hurricanrana that gets a two count. And the crowd is hot as shit because this guy is getting stuff in on Liger because Liger is smart enough to let the comedy guy fucking beat him down, to work from underneath like the baby face he is. So that he's more than just a fucking crab. Another crab bomb for a near fall. He tries for another, but is getting tired, so he can't lift up Liger. So Jushin retaliates with a kapoo kick. Jushin starts chopping away on Kinanawa, hitting another kapoo kick in the corner that sends the crab man to the floor. So Liger heads up top, only for Nanawa to leap back up to meet him there. Liger slaps the crab man down to the mat before coming off the top with an elbow drop for a two count. Textbook elbow drop, too. 
Jushin then signals for the end, picking Nanawa up for the Liger Bomb. It's hot. Only for it to be reversed into a Hurakarana for a near fall. Damn. I'm so scared. Nanawa charges in, but Jushin kicks him and delivers a Fisherman's Buster for the pin. And, and the win. win. Who would have thought the little crap man had it in him? Yeah. Like, I knew he would fight, like, Liger after the first match that he had with uh, 666 Damien, but the I legitimately got nervous because we all know that Liger will just lay down. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he has no qualms with taking a pin. Uh, putting someone over. Putting someone over. Like, he's a wrestler's wrestler in that regard where he's like, oh, he doesn't have, you know, sport, a whatever wrestling is. Mm-hmm. He does it. It, sur- it exists and survives on people with large egos. And for a, a guy this good to not have that kind of ego is one of the many reasons that he's so special. But I was like, we can't have Liger lose to this guy. But I, they tricked me a little bit. I got nervous, even though I didn't think he was gonna win. But I thought he might win at one point, which is what wrestling should do. Absolutely, absolutely. We go to our eighth match, Lionheart versus Wild Pegasus in a quarterfinal match. We got friends. Are they friends? Aren't Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho friends in real life? I have no clue. Weren't they good friends? I figure they are friendly. I mean, uh, just because... They've just worked in the same place for Yeah, well, I know it's not so. like Eddie, but I always think of, like, Chris Benoit, Malenko, Jericho, and, like, Eddie as, like, just bros, but I mean, yeah. I don't know. Who knows if they're bros? I'm sure they were friendly. Yeah, it's not like, like it's said, definitely they, not like they worked in the same place yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, it's not like Eddie and Chris, which no. we know they were like legitimately uh, as close as you could be two brothers without fucking coming from the same yeah. family. Oh, old Jericho yells off as loud as he can in this. It seems calling him, "Come on, motherfucker!" Oh Something yeah, like that. Yeah, Jericho. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because when Jericho was working, like. Pre AEW in New Japan first stints, he did that shit too. So it's funny to see just, you know, him being that guy this far back. Also, we've gotten music. There's been some songs I wrote them down. I haven't named all of them or any of them at this point. But Chris Benoit comes out to a song that we've never heard Chris Benoit come out to. And I was like, I know this song. It's not Jump? It's not Jump. No. I figured out what it was, but I don't think most people will because it is uh, Rosalie by Thin Lizzy, which is one of my favorite Thin Lizzy songs. And I just was like, oh, weird. Because it doesn't do the vocals, just like the music. Mm -hmm. But it's such a good song to come out to. But I was, it was weird because I was like, looked up Chris Benoit's theme songs over the years and that one never shows up. It's just on this show, but it's all piped through the like arena so like because you'll hear people walking to the back and i heard thunder kiss at one point but i never heard anybody come out to it so hmm. it was interesting and uh any spotlight on thin lizzy i will take the time for so michael didn't mention this but benoit is representing new japan pro wrestling as he still competes there he missed it i did, did. i know i got excited about thin lizzy <laughs> and Lionheart of war but we've already seen him wrestle chris benoit got our wild pegasus he got we got he got a buy that's right. Just like Liger did. Because they, they were the finalists of the first one, is my assumption. 
Liger was no, not he was a not the first. No. In the first one. Yeah, Benoit was. Benoit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was like, why did they get the buy? And I was like, oh well, I understand why Chris Benoit did. Each other's face to jaw, but once it starts, the two men trade arm drags before they fight over a waist lock. When Lionheart slaps Benoit. Come on, motherfucker. Pegasus just responds with a slap as well. They then go into a test of strength. There it is. Where Pegasus gets the advantage, only for Jericho to kick him away and hit a sunset flip into the ropes. Lionheart with a vertical suplex for a two count before delivering a body slam and a slingshot splash for a near fall. Followed by locking on a sleeper, only for Benoit to escape with a back suplex. Pegasus keeps up the attack with a snap suplex and a lariat for a two count, before hitting a backbreaker and transitioning into a stretch, followed by applying a lion tamer momentarily. That's not Lionheart putting the lion tamer on. It's Pegasus. Yeah, it's uh, it's Peggy. But that's what it is, to me. It's a lion tamer. Yeah, it, it's it's basically it's just an elevated Boston crab. Yeah, it's yeah. the Boston crab that everybody sees where your neck is like on the mat. If you put that knee in the back while you're doing it, Oof. it becomes a lion tamer, in my opinion. Benoit misses a drop kick, allowing Jericho to land a senton for a near fall before delivering a lariat and a drop kick of his own. Lionheart starts chopping away in the corner, only for Pegasus to retaliate with a short arm clothesline, whipping Jericho to the opposite corner only for Lionheart to jump up and off the ropes with a moonsault that misses. I mean, great with a moonsault. Always. A knee to the gut, a rubber band slam, and chops lead to Jericho out on the apron, where Benoit goes for the suplex back into the ring, only for Lionheart to slip out and nail some kicks and a rubber band slam of his own to put Pegasus on the apron. Jericho then follows it up with a springboard dropkick that sends Benoit to the floor, leaping out then with a springboard moonsault. Lionheart looks to keep up the punishment as Pegasus gets on the apron, only to be kicked away, allowing Benoit to climb to the top rope, where Jericho meets him to go for a super back suplex, which Pegasus counters in midair to land on top. For a near fall. I mean, beautiful stuff. And uh, Jericho is so vocal and has a he he everything he does like his yells are very musical, not necessarily in a good way because the man can't sing. But it sounds like he's just wants to be in the bad you know Van Halen band he ends up doing. But find it really p- funny. The other thing is he shaws. Does he? Jericho shaws. He hits and he shots, uh, and like it's a gimmick in ECW. And then, of course, the current husband of a woman, Kevin Sullivan, is a shaman. Is uh, he's a hasman? He's a oh yes, yes, has yes, yeah. He does the inverse shot. Yeah. He was like he heard somebody shot once. He was like, well, what if I do it the opposite? Could totally make it my own. Mm-hmm. What if I was evil? <laughs> Benoit delivers a powerbomb for a two count, and then the two fight over a waist lock, ending with a Lionheart roll-up for a near fall, only to be countered into a roll-up by Pegasus for a two count. Benoit nails a dragon suplex for a near fall, but then misses a diving headbutt, 
allowing Jericho to make a cover for a two count. Mm, and I thought, you get scared. I just get scared sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when, it, when wrestling's good, you should be afraid for your guy losing. Lionheart lands a tiger driver for a near fall before trying for a suplex that Pegasus wiggles free from to land on the apron, followed by back suplexing Jericho out to the floor and flying through the ropes with a tope suicida. Mm-hmm. Back at the ring, Benoit goes for a powerbomb, which Jericho flips out of and nails a tiger suplex for a two count, following it up with a fisherman's buster and a lion salt, <laughs> only for Pegasus to move. But Lionheart lands on his feet and delivers a hurricanrana for a two count. Mm. Mm, I know. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. They're really doing it, folks. Jericho with a spin kick and hits the lion salt this time for a near fall. Before setting Benoit on the top rope. Only to be met by punches. Allowing Pegasus to twist him round for a super tombstone pile driver. Oof. For the pin. And, and the, the win. win. I love... You know, like Chris is laying into him and he just can't put him away. And he's frustrated when he like is climbing up to the top to try to take take him down. He's like, I, I, this is the last move. I need whatever it is. I this is this is where it ends. And uh, Chris Benoit just foils him. Maybe he didn't see it coming because he was frustrated. Maybe Chris Benoit is the smarter and more veteran wrestler. It is what it is, and it's pretty great. We didn't get those interviews with Lionheart and Benoit in the back. Or maybe not for Jericho as he just walks past all the reporters and into the locker room. Yeah, some of the losers do not get full right. interviews, but sometimes they do. No interviews. I mean, please. he would have gotten interviewed. He just was mad. Oh, he was selling his heel persona. Or being a baby. But Pegasus tells everybody that he was coming back even better this year. And the J-Cup will remain mine. I hope so, sir. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's like you said, I'm coming back better. It's a wild match. Chris Benoit gives Chris Jericho a whole lot. But the psychology is that they uh, went toe-to-toe, like move for move in the match. Somebody would spoil something. They would return the favor in a uh, similar move. But Chris Benoit got the best of him. It then cuts to a preview video for Volume 2 with highlights of the remaining competitors. But no fear, we're covering both volumes right here. It was a one-night show. Uh, It was released on two tapes. So Volume 2 starts right away with more highlights from Volume 1. And we get get an updated look at our bracket Mm -hmm. at this point. I love the bracket. It looks like playstation uh wrestling game uh where it's like yeah just it's really great it's like a weird fiery orange background everybody's facing Mm -hmm. they uh show the like who went by by darking people's faces out and stuff it's very mortal Kombat. but we go straight to our ninth match shinjiro tani versus ultimo dragon in a quarter final match let's go fucking go shinjiro holds the ropes open for ultimo to enter which is, considering Otani's usual behavior, is a bit of a surprise. It's so great that like Otani looks like he's going to attack. He just opens the ropes for him, and it's such a nice touch. There's a bigger pop for Ultimo, but it is a war event. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Also, Otani is not 
like liger status. Otani is black trunks and will beat the shit out of you. There's no pomp and circumstance. He's a fucking wrestler. Stone Cold Shinjiro. The two both miss kicks to start, so Dragon hits a shoulder block, only to be no-sold. Followed by Shinjiro trying for a back body drop, which Ultimo flips out of and kicks Otani down to the floor. Dragon then fakes a tope, instead going for a pescado, but Shinjiro avoids it and comes off the apron with a missile dropkick. Ooh, love a missile dropkick. Otani then climbs back into the ring to deliver a springboard plancha out onto Ultimo as well before throwing him back into the ring so he can hit a springboard leg lariat to the back of the head. Fuck. <laughs> Shinjiro continues with a body slam and goes to climb the ropes, only for Dragon to hit a springboard drop kick that sends Otani back out to the floor, which Ultimo falls out with an Asai moonsault. Back and that's in- the step up, like he's climbing the turnbuckle, but the step up drop kick... Fuck, man. It's like parkour. It's great. Back in the ring, Dragon nails a lariat for a two count and goes to the chin lock, which the two counter out into a head scissors, a pin attempt, a cross arm breaker, a leg grapevine, until Ultimo slaps Sinjiro, causing Otana to get pissed off and stomp away on the dragon's head. Uh, Yeah, like at this point, I just was like, fuck off. Best show ever? Like, come on. Like, have we seen this many, like, good, intelligent, well-worked wrestling matches in a row? Probably not since Super Jacob 94. I know. It's great. I, but, yeah, my God. I was, uh, yeah, my heart grew two sizes too big. So, spoiler, I don't know if you'll know what our overall thoughts on this show are. <laughs> I mean, I tried, I almost gave it away off the top. But I waited until match nine. Shinjiro keeps it up with a drop kick and tries for the cross arm breaker again, only to be denied. Followed by Ultimo trying for a single leg crab, which is denied as well. So Dragon starts laying it in with kicks and a knee to the face. Ultimo goes for the single leg crab once more, only for Atani to reverse it into a leg grapevine. But the ropes are made to break the hold. More mat work shared between the two before Dragon just stands on Shinjiro's face and nails a lariat. Ultimo locks on a camel clutch, but he releases it to try for a suplex, which is reversed for Otani to hit one of his own for a two count. And I love that all of the catch stuff is incredible and harder to talk about, but like it's really compelling while you're watching it. And the ref is constantly checking on them, and they're constantly engaging with the ref and saying, like, no. Uh, everybody does it, and to great effect, I think. Shinjiro with a spin kick and a tombstone pile driver. Oh, he jumps, though. It's a jumping pile driver. I don't know what you call that, but he fucking jumps up before he goes down. But Dragon no-sells it and hits one of his own, only for Otani to no-sell it. Slap Ultimo and deliver another Tombstone pile driver. It's crazy. It's nasty. Which again it. is no sold. Normally I would be upset. And Shinjiro is slapped this time before Dragon lands another Tombstone, Oof. which is no sold as well. I mean, these guys. The fighting spirit is the term that people use about Japanese wrestling, and this match is fighting spirit to a T with a little star next to it. It's highlighted. 
Ultimo then sends Otani to the corner, where he leaps up and out with a crossbody, only for Dragon to meet him in the air with a drop kick for a near fall. Fucking nuts. On the floor. It's not even into the ring. It's not a super kick. Like, he just did a desperation, like, drop kick up and ended up landing on the concrete with his, like, shoulder and potentially his head. Dragon tries to pick up Shinjiro, but he's dead weight. So Ultimo proceeds to stomp him a bit before sending him on the top rope for a super hurricanrana mm. for a two count. Otani's trying to shake the cobwebs when Dragon goes for a powerbomb, only for Shinjiro to reverse it into a hurricanrana for a near fall. And both men are exhausted and selling it because they should be exhausted and probably are a little exhausted. And this is only like the 10 minute call all these matches are like one fall 30 minutes and you can hear it's in japanese but you can hear the call uh into the arena so the first one five second one ten but you know i kept uh i kept up on my uh, minute calls out of curiosity you never know when you're gonna get a draw in the tournament otani continues to fire up with a super hurricanrana for a two count but the pin is then reversed for a near fall for ultimo with both men making sure it wasn't three. Dragon then goes for a suplex, only for Shinjiro to slip free to land on the apron, jumping up with a springboard dropkick. Mm. But Ultimo steps out of the way, sending Otani crashing down to the mat. Dragon locks on a La Magistrale pin for a two count, follows it up with chops, but runs into a roundhouse kick on the charge. Shinjiro slips out to the apron so that he can hit a springboard dropkick to the back of Ultimo's head before delivering a dragon suplex for a near fall. I know, right before he does it, he calls for the end. He motions to the crowd. We're about to put him away. But Tani can't believe that wasn't it. So he tries for another suplex, only for Dragon to scramble to the ropes to avoid. Shinjiro then sends Ultimo... To a corner, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Dragon to nail a Liger bomb for a two count, followed by a Fisherman's Buster for Ooh, a near fall. We're getting Otani chance from the crowd. Both men are down, but they pop up at the same time and try for leg lariats that put them both down once again. Ultimo recovers first, hitting a body slam and goes up top for a Sky Twister Press. Which misses, but is sold like he hit it. Yes. Before locking on another La Magistrale for the pin. And, and the win. win. This match uh, is everything that I love about professional wrestling. And I rewound the last move about ten times, hoping that it landed. Let's see, I rewound it a hurt couple me. times looking at it, trying to figure out... Did he do what Did he, he do supposed it? to do? Yeah. I'm not super familiar with this one, <laughs> but I was like, like, this match is 10 of 10, and then the last move is botched, and it's not like a full botch, like, it's not like he slipped or whatever, it's just not the right spot, and I kind of want to cry because of it, Yeah. but, yeah, I don't have enough, like, enough good things to say about what we just uh, spoke about. Post-match, Otani bows in respect, but Dragon slaps him, only for Shinjiro to slap him back. Yes. Bros. Love it. But the two men then shake hands, 
I love that Ultimo Dragon was like, let me just make sure you're fucking for real. Yeah. And like, yeah, and he's and he slapped him back and he's like, all right, you're for real. You get my fucking respect, which is so nice. But you can still tell Otani is pissed as he makes his way to the back. It's so good. Angry little baby face. Fiery, fiery man. He's got, <laughs> you know, like, is Shibata's favorite wrestler, fucking Sinjiro Otani. <laughs> so we go to our 10th match. Gato versus Dos Caras in a quarterfinal match. The two work headlocks, head scissors, arm wrenches, sleepers, arm locks, surfboards, until Gato rakes the eyes, firing up Caras to deliver a flying forearm and a back body drop before leaping into a victory roll, but he doesn't make the cover, instead going into a reverse figure four. Gato makes the ropes to break the hold, so Dos Caras applies a forward scorpion deathlock, and when Gato almost makes the ropes again, he turns it over into a traditional deathlock momentarily. Dos Caras is an insane wrestler. Caras drops an elbow before locking on another interesting submission move, kind of like a Gato clutch with arm stretches, but releases it to deliver another elbow to the head. A power slam by Dos Caras, but Gato recovers to dropkick Caras in the leg, hooking his arms and going for the mask. I mean, and the crowd immediately boos, even though this is a war crowd, like, they, yeah, they do not, the they do not, they respect the mask. Dos Caras is able to escape to hit another flying forearm, followed by a dropkick that sends Gato out of the ring. Caras then flies over the ropes with a biscotto before rolling Gato back in for a powerbomb for a two-count. Dos Caras keeps up the attack with a butterfly backbreaker and chops, but then runs into a boot, allowing Gato to charge in, only for Caras to nail a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Dos Caras heads up top for a crossbody, making the cover, only for Gato to rip the mask off to break the pin. Ah, he gets to the chin. I also love that the video blurs out his face. I did not catch that. I didn't think the mask actually came off. I just got to the point it where it does come it. off, and it, they blur his face. But it, it literally is just laying there, so he's able to put it back on real quick. Oh wow! Yeah, I did not catch that. Son of a bitch! So Karis gets the mask back on, and he is pissed off. As he should. Pounding Gato into the corner with a barrage of strikes, and goes for a ten count of mounted punches. Ooh. The ref comes over to make sure he's not using closed fists. So when Gato shoves him away allowing him to nail Karas Dos before delivering a DDT and a Gato Clutch for the pin and, and the, the win. win. dang I love that Gato has this like cheap heel win after just working from underneath, which he did previously. And as soon as Dos Karas gets pinned, he does the, uh, what do you call it? Like the up yours, like the fuck you arm thing where you yeah. make like an L with your arms. You all know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He had his mask ripped off. Like, you, yeah. You he, don't do that. No. Not at all. Bullshit. So we go to our 11th match. Jushin, Thunder Liger, versus Ultimo Dragon in a semi-final matchup. We're really getting there, folks. These two men go straight into a test of strength. Yeah. Until Jushin transitions into a head scissors takedown which the two men then fight over a hammerlock until Dragon nails a dropkick. 
More leg locks and arm bars shared between the two. When Liger works in some surfboards, the Ultimo escapes and delivers a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Jushin then reverses a whip and hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker of his own before going into a head scissors, which Dragon reverses only for Liger to go back to a surfboard. The two are trading chops before an ab stretch and more arm work when Jushin goes for a back body drop only for Ultimo to flip out and go for a lariat, but it's blocked and Liger goes for one of his own, which is ducked, allowing Dragon to kick him. The two then run the ropes, exchanging takedowns and arm drags before reaching a standoff once more. It's Ju- nice shit. They're like they do a rope run that gets an applause. Uh, we've seen rope runs like that before, but this one uh, feels a little more special, a little, a little less by the books, a little more creative. Agreed. Jushin with a knee to the gut, followed by multiple drop kicks to the knee and a released German before locking on a figure four. But Ultimo refuses to give up and makes the ropes. Uh, um, He's got it in for a minute, too. I probably have said it every time we've covered some good junior stuff, but I love... Wrestling? uh, I do. (laughs) I love a dropkick to the knee. Oh, yeah. Especially in, in junior wrestling, because, like, there's lots of aerial maneuvers and stuff, so... Just the drop kicks to the knees always, if the guys are doing it right, it looks fucking right. And all these guys can do it right. Liger then applies a crossover leg hold to keep the pressure on the legs, adding a hammerlock to increase the pain. But Dragon manages to reverse it into a single leg crab before transitioning that into a Muda lock. Ultimo releases the hold to whip Jushin to the corner to deliver a handspring back elbow Woo! and a fisherman suplex. For a two count before going into a figure four of his own really wrenching it in and he like as soon as the kick out happens it didn't like take his time he just like immediately is like oh well the next thing i do is i'm the first one to the mat i'm gonna grab his fucking leg and put on the figure four but liger makes the ropes it's similar in the like the toe-to-toe-ness of it all where it's like oh well anything you can do, I can do better kind of vibe where they're doing similar moves to each other, but back to back, but not in a like corny way. Yeah. Both men are favoring their legs, but dragon manages to fire off another handspring back elbow that sends Jushin to the floor. Ultimo fakes the tope as Liger moves off behind a ring post. So dragon just flies through the corner ropes to hit a tope suicida. Ultimo climbs back up to the turnbuckles and then comes off with a senton to the outside I as love well. The flip senton. Back in the ring, Dragon keeps up the attack with a power bomb and a tiger suplex for a two count. Ultimo then applies an ab stretch until releasing it to try for a drop kick, which misses, allowing Jushin to catapult him over the ropes to the floor. Well, monkey flip. Liger then follows out with a rolling senton from the apron before they head back into the ring where Jushin delivers a powerbomb and a brainbuster for a near fall. Liger continues with a tombstone pile driver and a diving headbutt for a two count before telegraphing a back body drop, allowing Dragon to kick him and leap up to his shoulders for a victory roll, only for Jushin to roll through 
for a near fall. Ultimo then ducks a lariat and nails a northern light suplex for a two count. He goes to whip Liger only for it to be reversed, allowing Jushin to hit a kapoo kick in the corner. Dragon is then set up on the turnbuckle, with Liger going for a super fisherman's buster, only for Ultimo to counter into a super front suplex, followed by a la magistrale for a near fall. Dragon continues with a springboard moonsault and a body slam. He then goes for a top rope moonsault, only to miss, allowing Jushin to hit a Liger bomb for a two count. Jushin then charges in, but Ultimo sidesteps and nails a drop toe hold and goes for the La Magistrale again. But Liger stops the roll up halfway, ah. sitting down on Dragon's shoulders for the pin and, and the win. win. Him? Yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can. The La Mag- Magistrale, like, incredible roll up. He went to the well too many times. Liger figured out a way to defend it, and his way of defending it is perfect and beautiful. He just catches his arm in like mid roll up and fucking sits it down for the pin. And Dragon doesn't look weak, but Liger looks like the smart- looks like he outsmarted him. Yeah, outsmarted him, and it's fucking beautiful. And I thought Ultimo would win because he's the top guy in war. I thought he would. I thought that like between Liger and Ultimo, turning this show on, kind of assumed that maybe these guys are the last two guys. Of course, once you see the brackets and stuff, that's different. But like, if you were just to look at the list of names of the entrants for the tournament without seeing any brackets or whatever, like that's probably your guess is a Liger, Ultimo, maybe a Benoit, uh, Ultimo. But, like, I had strong assumptions that Ultimo might make it to the end. I guess Ultimo, also not afraid of laying down. So we go to our 12th match. Gato versus Wild Pegasus in a semi-final match. These guys, if you might remember from Super J Cup 94... They bet in the semifinal that year, too. Yeah. It's, okay. see, yeah. The thing is, Kato is not particularly memorable from those shows. I do think that he is better here, but we will talk about performance later. Absolutely. So, Benoit teases a test of strength, only to boot Gato in the gut, pounding him before nailing a back elbow and a back suplex for a two count. Pegasus continues with chops, a leg drop, Snap suplex, lariats, a body slam, and a lion tamer. Only for Gato to make the ropes. I love that uh, Gato says, holy shit. He does a, a holy shit that is pick, pitch perfect. Just, yeah, he's like, ah, I didn't expect <laughs> to be taken this hard this quick. Benoit goes back to chops, a snapmare, and then wrenches on the arms in a sitting surfboard before hitting a bridging German for an airfall. Pegasus locks in an STF, but releases it to set Gato on the top turnbuckle to deliver a superplex Hell yes. for a two count. Benoit grabs for another suplex, only for Gato to reverse into a bridging German of his own for a near fall, before locking on his butterfly hold, which Pegasus escapes by hitting a jawbreaker. And flowers for Chris Benoit. 
which will always happen when we're talking about his wrestling. But the he sells his head in a superplex, which just has seemed to go by the wayside, and he does it really well here. And then he also sells the butterfly lock thing very well. But yeah, I I need more superplexes to be sold these days. Gato has his whip reversed, but gets his knee up on the Benoit charge before hitting a second row Karakarana that sends Pegasus out to the floor, followed by a Tope Suicida. But looks like his legs hit the rope, so he might have fallen a little short. Uh, it, it looks pretty, uh, you know, Benoit's up first, and he suplexes Gato against the side of a table. And I, it's like, oh, these guys have not done anything on the floor. They haven't hit each other on the floor outside of jumping onto each other on the floor. And then Chris Benoit saves it for the semifinal match to take the time to be like, it's fight or flight, going to suplex this guy onto a table. Before rolling back in and setting him on a top turnbuckle for a super hurricanrana for a two count. Come on, ref. Pegasus continues by hitting a pair of bridging Germans for a near fall. Goes for the tombstone, but Gato reverses it into one of his own and heads up top. But Benoit meets him there, only for Gato to headbutting down to the mat. Leaping off with a splash, but Pegasus gets his knees up. Gato's got a little bit of weight to... Save his ribs. They both make it back to their feet when Benoit delivers a vicious lariat for a two count, followed by a power bomb and a dragon suplex for a near fall. Pegasus with a body slam and heads up top for the diving headbutt, only for Gato to avoid, but he's too tired to take advantage. So Benoit's up first to try for another power bomb, but it's reversed into a hurricanrana for a two count. Pegasus is up first again, this time going for a suplex, but Gato floats over and delivers a brain buster and a diving headbutt from the top for the pin and the win. Ah, fuck. This was the exact same sequence that led to Benoit defeating Gato in the previous year's matchup. Oh, wow. I mean, that's the thing that, one of the things that we love about Japanese wrestling is that the story is in the ring and that like some things as simple as moves that failed being used to success or whatever like that long-term storytelling or long-term like it might not even, it's not like a story in the way that like weekly tv or whatever it is just like oh fuck like you're rewarded for watching these people wrestle and uh, I'm ashamed to say that I did not remember that that was a callback we'll give you some yeah but I'm just saying that's I mean that's like just desserts kind of thing where it's like oh well I mean I feel a little bit less angry about Gato winning a little less a little less. Yeah, just gonna have to go back and watch the last one no problem that won't be hard to do yeah, that'll be that, yeah. That's a, a pretty great like th- you know thirty minutes. See how they compare from year one or sorry stage one, one to stage, stage two. two. Yeah, we would get an interview with Benoit, but he's not too happy, so he just goes straight to the locker room. He's not talking. But then we get an interview with Psychosis and Ray Mysterio. Yeah, I was excited. I was like, oh shit, 
These guys just popping Where up everywhere, aren't they? What the hell? But it makes sense. And Ray says he's here to give it all he's got and hopes the Japanese audience likes his style. Yeah, he wants to. She wants to share lucha with the world, and I got excited because I was like, "Oh, well, this is gonna be off our final match." But it's so intelligent for them to have a lucha match for these guys to take a break, and then two guys on the up and coming that can fucking go, and what they're gonna do is gonna be even faster than everything we've already seen because these boys are quick. So our thirteenth match, psychosis. Versus Rey Mysterio Jr. in a special exhibition match. Are they both CMLL? I believe so. Okay. And ECW, whichever one. Yeah. AAA. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, AAA and, yeah, AAA and CML are like the WWF, WCW. Okay. They don't like each other. No. Gotcha. So the two go into some mat work to begin working arms and legs until Rey breaks free to hit a tilt-a-whirl slam and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Psychosis recovers to nail a split-legged splash in the corner before working a hammerlock that Mysterio reverses into an arm drag sequence shared between the two when Ray nails a hurricanrana that sends Psychosis to the floor, followed by a springboard rolling senton over the ropes. Oof. Back in the ring, they begin to run the ropes again when Psychosis hits a drop kick to the knee, but Mysterio then handsprings and leaps up onto the shoulders of Psychosis to hit a hurricanrana. He does it he does tease the six one nine through the rows. Like does the you know slide through on his way back. Six one nine ish. Ray charges in only to be dumped out to the apron, with psychosis joining him for them to chop each other when Mysterio monkey flips psychosis into the ring post. Woo! Where he falls out to the floor. Posted. He does the monkey flip from the ring. And Psychosis nails this. It seems like it should not be that easy, but it looks so easy. But he flies over the top rope to the post. His head is just perfectly aligned. It looks like it's real. Maybe it is. We can only hope. As many matches as these guys have had, that, <laughs> that perfection should be all there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's also funny because we all know Ray's a little guy, but... Even next to Psychosis, he looks so small. Psychosis has got to be six, like six feet tall. He might only be five ten or something. Yeah, but he like looks a college brother, you know, beating up a twelve year old brother. Yeah, it looks like Andre next to like <laughs> Don Morocco. <laughs> it's like Don Morocco is wider than he is tall. Ray then goes up top, leaping off with a diving hurricanrana that sends Psychosis back down to the concrete. Mysterio celebrates on the floor a little too long allowing Psychosis to make it back into the ring first. So when Ray tries to get back in, he's there to attempt a suplex into the ring. Only for Mysterio to slip free, but Psychosis hits a spinning heel kick that sends Ray out to the floor. And uh, old 666 is in Psychosis' corner. He's out there for the boy. Psychosis then leaps over the ropes with a slingshot plancha. Followed by the two men rolling into the ring, where Ray delivers a springboard dropkick to the back of Psychosis' head. Oof. That sends him money, back man. to the outside. Mysterio continues with a springboard rolling senton to the floor. They're back in the ring, and Ray keeps up the attack with a springboard hurricanrana for a two count, before they start to run the ropes again. When Mysterio hits a crossbody that sends them both over the ropes, but Ray lands on the apron 
and delivers a top rope Asai moonsault. Gigantic fucking spring salt. So high up in the air. It's crazy. He's a little guy, but like he's it's crazy how high he he got up. Yeah, Mysterio. They make it into the ring before the ten count, where Psychosis hits a power slam, a power bomb, and a top rope leg drop. For a near fall. Love to see a top rope leg drop from these guys doing this crazy shit. And it's like, all right, well, now time for the top rope leg drop. Where it's just like, oh, back to basics. I just, time to try to put you away. The Alabama Uh, jam coming down. mm -hmm. Mexico jam. And it is a a 20 count. Because we're in Japan. That's true. Just saying. Another power bomb and psychosis goes for a tumbleweed. Only for Mysterio to move and deliver a leg lariat. Ray then sets Psychosis on the top rope and goes for a super hurricanrana, but Psychosis holds onto the rope, sending Mysterio down to the mat. But Ray just springboards up to the top for a hurricanrana anyways. Ray then calls for the finish, hitting one more hurricanrana for the pin and, and the win. win. I love it so much that he's just like, that doesn't matter. Runs, hops, lands it anyway. And then he's just standing behind him, uh, behind Psychosis, like as Psychosis is getting back up to the mat. And Ray just like measures him and waits for it to hit the perfect Hurricane Rana. He's just like, it's just like watching uh, like a bear fucking slap salmon out of the water or something. It's He's, he's like waiting for him and he's like, no, what I'm going to do, it's going to fucking work. And I'm going to wait for the perfect moment. And then not only does he do it, but he does it, I mean, perfectly. And he's probably all of 22 at this point in time. <laughs> Who knows? Even that. Yeah. He still looks 22 today. Uh, no, he doesn't. No. He, looks like a, he looks like a 22-year-old with a drug problem. Even. <laughs> Not that he has a drug problem, but you know. His face is a little, uh, like a little his, weathered. His 22-year-old son may have an issue with that. Kind his of son looks all... <laughs> yeah, his son looks like a, a very large 18-year-old. We go to our 14th match. Jushin, Thunder Liger, versus Gato. In this Super J Cup Finals. Remember how sometimes we get one of these shows that has like 27 matches and by the time we're halfway through it, it's just like, come on, hurry up and just be done. Yeah, I feel like we haven't given enough to this show. Yeah, we're on match number 14 now and it's like still as exciting on match 14 as it was in match one. one I won't two. say number one, I'll say two I think three. I'm going to say right now, I told you, I told these guys that the show was a four and a half hour video and yeah. they both kind of like... <sighs> yep. They're not doing that now. No, no. I mean, uh, I've got some uh, strong feelings about this show. So Jushin starts working the arm immediately, with each time Gato trying to escape. Liger just goes into an even more vicious arm lock, keeping him down in pain until Gato finally reaches the ropes. Jushin drop kicks the arm and looks for a suplex, but instead locks in a wakakatame, wrenching on the arm when Gato is able to reach the ropes again. More arm breakers, another drop kick to the arm before locking in a chicken wing crossface, which Gato reaches the ropes again, but Jushin keeps it up with a Jujikatami, so Gato has to fight it to make to the ropes once more. I love there's a moment early in the like the mat wrestling where Liger is working Gato's arm, and there's a moment where he is ab- above him and like you know on his feet. And he just drives his knee into the shoulder of Gato 16 times. I counted it. 
You do a little bit more mat wrestling, and then he does it again with six more like knee drives to the shoulder. And they're so like fast and nice and refreshing because some arm work and limb work slow and methodical, but this one he's like, oh no, I'm just going to like pound into it. After that pounding on the arm, Liger hits a tombstone before applying a standing chicken wing crossface, with Gato inching his way towards the ropes, with the ref watching carefully for when he would reach them, allowing Gato to mule kick down low. Way to not catch that red shoes. I know, the little Ligers. The, it is nice to see red shoes. Same mannerisms, same poof of hair. Younger man. <laughs> For Shane, Red Shoes is the main referee, the head referee in New Japan today. Yeah, oh, and so that's right. I don't know if he's in New Japan or no. War. He's in War at he's this war. point. Oh yeah, but he does have the Red Shoes. Yeah. So Jushin's pissed off, and he charges into the corner, only to receive a boot to the face, allowing Gato to send him to the floor with a shoulder block, following out with a moonsault from the top turnbuckle. Back in the ring, Gato hits a power bomb and a diving headbutt before locking on that butterfly hold, with Liger finally reaching the ropes after being pulled to the middle a couple of times. Gato tries for a whip, but it's reversed, with Jushin charging in with a kapoo kick, setting Gato up in the corner with his legs spread, before delivering another kapoo kick in revenge for the low blow. Hey man, in the theme of this show, going toe-to-toe, move for move, Gato got what he deserved. A baseball slide sends Gato to the floor, with Liger following out with a top rope plancha, only for Gato to drop kicking in midair. Who thought Gato could do that move? <laughs> There's some things he does in this that uh, maybe he shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, there is some uh, in it. Yeah, we'll talk about Apparently it. There's some poor before, but I feel like I'm. Watching him, watching him for the first time yeah. on the show, so yeah, it is impressive. He is much more improved than he was in '94. <laughs> yeah, he definitely can do the thing, but he doesn't quite do it like everyone else does. They roll back in and recover at the same time. So Jushin uses the only advantage he has and goes back to the arm. They start to run the ropes with Gato ducking a lariat, but then they both hit one for a double KO. Once back to their feet, Liger ducks a lariat, goes for a release German, but Gato flips out of it, landing on his feet to nail a hurricanrana for a two count. Hate it. They trade near falls in a pin reversal sequence until Jushin boots Gato in the stomach, hitting a fisherman's buster for a two count, before a Liger bomb for a near fall. Yeah, it's maybe the sloppiest Liger bomb we've seen, but we're going to blame it on Gato. Jushin heads up top only to be met by Gato, where they fight over a superplex, until Liger slipes Gato down to the mat and comes off with a dropkick, but it doesn't connect, so Gato nails a brain buster, rolls him up with the Gato clutch for the pin, and, and no, no, Jushin kicks out. I know, I was uh, scared for the boy, and he, he made it. <laughs> Gato tries for another brain buster but it's blocked and reversed with a snap suplex by Liger for a two count. Yeah, it's like a, almost like a snap DDT suplex. It's quick and to the point. Jushin heads up top, only for Gato to press slam him off, allowing him to go up top, 
where Liger beats him there for a super fisherman's buster. For the pin! And, and the, the win. win! I was afraid, so afraid. Post-match, all of the competitors from the evening jump in the ring to celebrate. Jushin's given a golden winner's jacket and a trophy. Gato is even recognized for his hard work as well, being given a trophy and a plaque. And Gato stumbling and selling uh, the fact that he has had some matches tonight. That he has. Nanawa, Lionheart, Masaki Mochizuki, and Otani are all given trophies as well. For what reason, I'm not real sure. My assumption is that it might be like... uh, in the match of the night type thing, well, yeah, or, like a, yeah, like a uh, like the honorary prizes in like sumo. Or yeah, whatever. that's what like I like assume. Technique or whatever. All of the competitors then take a picture in the middle of the ring before heading to the back for a drink in front of reporters, where we see Liger, Ultimo, and Gato all being interviewed. We then get some behind the scenes footage where Gato and another gentleman are having a conversation before going back to Jushin being interviewed. And then highlights of the show, and we fade to black. Incredible shit. I would love for these interviews to be subtitled, just for the, the, the sake of historical posterity. But uh, a show with no commentary, like a show that doesn't need commentary, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, my God. So gentlemen, I ask you, what are your overall thoughts of Super Jacob Second Stage? This might be my favorite show that we've ever watched. I think that the only like negative thing is that Gato was the one that was pushed, and I don't think he's awful, but he's easily the least impressive wrestler on the show. Granted, 666 Damien is the guy we saw do the least, because he's in the first match. It was the one comedy match. So like, I don't know what he can do in a longer match or if he went deeper into the tournament. But, like, Grand Grand Naniwa was a blast in the first match, and he went, like, super hard in the second one. Dos Caras might be one of the most fascinating wrestlers I've seen in a long time because everything he does feels very, like, it it feels special. It's like, oh, he made that up, whatever the fuck that was. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he's got uh, a great... Great energy and a bizarre and impressive moveset that's flashy but doesn't feel like it's for the sake of being flashy. And I think that the first show, like the first J-Cup, is obviously more important. And I don't, we didn't get to see all of it. Yeah. I guess there was some like edits maybe in some matches. No, I think we saw every single match all the way through. Well, I think that this is a match-for-match, a better, cleaner, crisper show with more intelligent psychology. Which is probably a bizarre take, because I don't think that's how most people feel about this show. But I think this is the, like, match-for-match, minute-for-minute, the best wrestling show that we've seen when it comes down to wrestling. We're not talking angles. This is just wrestling matches. And I think that this is the best group of wrestling matches I've watched in one sitting. 
for me, I mean, I'm going to agree with a lot of that there. I mean, the show was exciting from start to finish. You know, it had its comedy moments. It had its holy shit moments. It had its, you know, what the hell is going on now? Who crowd is this guy? Incredibly engaged because it's a sold out crowd. Yeah. With the, the whole Gato thing, not having too much to go off of him. Same. It, it made me believe in a lot he, that he can do in the ring just because, you know, he, he, as I said from the start, he just looked like a, a bleach blonde lesbian that was in there yeah. and then he started doing all this shit and then he gets in there with, is it Otani or Tommy, however how you say his name, and just the two of them slapping the shit out of each other, you know, it made me believe that, you know, he's got a little bit more into him than I had seen in the match before and then you get him in there with Liger and it's just a holy shit fest from start to finish. Yeah, and you can tell um, that Gato is winded in that last match, but I, yeah. I don't know if I will agree in the sense that it's a better show than the first one, because I'm, I won't lie, I'm struggling to remember a lot of the stuff that happened in the first one, but I know comparing the first one and the second one, there was two words that didn't get said in this one that got said in the first one, and that was a short list. Oh, I have a short list. I didn't know if they were I have a short list match not. here for sure. Okay. But I was holding back on all of that. We'll talk. We'll talk short list here in a bit. Yeah, I yeah. mean, just in general, great show. Yeah, if you like professional wrestling, you should absolutely watch this. So, I do feel like there were more short list matches on the first one, but the variety and the, like, of this show makes this show a more complete and entertaining show. Than ninety four. This feels yeah. Stage. This feels more like if the first one is an anthology film where it's like oh, there's like four shorts that are all tied together and they're all in the same theme. This one feels more like a film. This one feels more connected, match to match. It's more cohesive. I think personally. Okay. I think it's also for me, the fact that I knew more people in this one than I did the one before. You know, just because I've starting to see them a little bit more. Plus, you've got the ones in there who, you know, made names for themselves afterwards that, you know, I recognized as a, a younger wrestler. But, I mean, just going into it and you've got your Jushin, you've got your Atani, you've got your Benoit, Jericho, Funaki, Ultimo Dragon, El Samurai. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these ones that I know already from, you know, their... Their massive wrestling careers and then just the ones that I've learned along the way that are starting to stand out a little more. It made it a little more enjoyable for me just because I was more familiar with some of them than I was the first time around. Absolutely. It's like, well, what are the chances they got worse? You know what I mean? It's only been like a year. I guess 600 yeah, days. It's been like a year. almost two years. It was like 18 months or so because the first one was in the early part yeah i feel like chris benoit it's been 600 days or something but it's probably not exact good Where, where's the smart marks at all right fuck you i think it's time we smart it up and i'm changing the categories bring it on yeah i want us to list our top three matches top well you know um, well, how about we all go number one number two number three i'll start with my number one because it's number one with a bullet, 
and it is uh, Shinjiro Otani versus Ultimo Dragon in one of my favorite maybe wrestling matches that I've watched in general. I fucking adore this match. I adore the fire and the spit and vinegar. So, just so, since I'm spinning this up a little bit on you guys, yeah. we'll just kind of discuss these matches as we... As, as they come up. Best moments, mo- most disappointing, all that stuff, yeah. in, as we're talking about these matches here. I'm actually disappointed in that match because the tombstone sequence mm-hmm. and the sky twister press, you are correct. It took it from a 10 down to an 8 because it was the best match. It's the best match. But both those sequences took me out of the match, and so it's not my favorite match on the show. For me, the finish was the part that fucked it up, but I, it's, it's such a shame but yeah, like as far as my engagement, excitement, like the fist pump ability, my I already like Otani, but after watching this, like I love Shinjiro Otani. I've only I've not seen a whole lot of his matches. Most of the matches I've seen that he's of his have been covered on this show. And we're like, yeah, he's obviously a very good wrestler, but this makes me want to be a Otani fan in a sense of knowing knowing the work in a more intimate way and uh, seeking out the matches. You know I love the fire. You know I love the fighting spirit. I'm torn. Are your favorite? I really like the Liger Dragon match. See, I think that one's my... Favorite like, of the show. Like, there's so... Like, I don't think there's any, like... Unless you're picking, like, the first match. Like, I don't know if there's any, like, truly terrible answers. Because there's, like, no, five there's matches not. here that could be your favorite. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn. That one, I think, is at my top. There's something that hits the, the youthful side of me of watching young Jericho and young Benoit. Which is an incredibly great match. Yeah. But, yeah, are you going to go... then, yeah, Atani... Any of the matches with him in there, I enjoyed too. Yeah. So you go number one, your uh, Liger Ultimo. Yeah, I'd say that was probably my favorite as well. Yeah. Number two for me, I'll go number two. Is actually, this one's gonna shock you guys. It's Gato versus Karis. I love that match because Karis is awesome. He's I know. I'm like, awesome. I literally been watching this show, and I'm like, I want to watch more cars. Yeah, yeah. Like Otani and Cars were my big takeaways, and then uh, Naniwa is another takeaway for me. Where I'm like, this guy is funny and can go. Yeah, he impressed me just going from the first match to the yeah the one with uh, Liger. He really it was two different styles. Yeah, going from comedy to all right. Now I got to actually get in here and do some shit. Yeah, uh, the but Cars, holy crap. What an innovative motherfucker. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that he does... No one does. No one does. I've never seen anybody do. And uh, the thing is, it looks like he shouldn't be able to do it because he did the elevated stunt puller and then he like pulls him on top of him. I was just like, what? Like, what are we... He's legitimately like four feet wide. He looks like... He looks like... uh, You remember the the THQ, like Nintendo 64 games? Yeah. His upper body looks like everyone's upper body in that game. He is just a giant muscle triangle. But yeah, Dos Caras. We're handing out most surprising awards. It probably goes to 
the Gato po- won. No, well, yeah, but the Gato po- is much more improved than he was the previous year. Yeah, but the positive, like if it's like you know, the positive surprise is like who the fuck is Dos Caras? Yeah, and why the fuck have I never heard his name before? I'll even tell you my third one because I'm yeah, just I'm just work. and it's, it's the other Otani match, Otani versus Masaki Mochizuki. Yeah, like Mochizuki came out like hitting hard. I like, expected. Like I know I knew Otani hits hard and goes hard and yeah. just goes hard, but this other guy came out. I had no clue who he was, Same. and I was just like, oh. We're just gonna do well, this. I think that he. My assumption is that he's a younger guy, and he's like, I have to. Yeah. I know. I like. I have to meet Otani where he lives, and he lives in the world of fucking slapping a motherfucker in the face because you have to slap a motherfucker in the face. So yeah, I mean, o, o, <laughs> Otani. It's hard to be like, oh, who's the best wrestler of the night? It's like any of these guys that got to a second match. Put on an incredible fucking two nights. It's one night. I mean, it's all yeah, in one it's night. One, night yeah. one fucking night. And there's only one person that looked winded. And he's the one that's in the least good shape. And uh, he had to fucking go with Liger at the end. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's like, of course that's the guy. If I was to name a performer, that I, it would probably be Gato. You think so? I, I, that was my choice. Really? Either Gato or... Uh, I just thought Gato sold me in every single match that yeah. he had. That, like, he was getting his ass kicked and then he would, he figured out a way to win. Yeah, I think that the, uh, like, character performance is really good. And while, when it was over, I was like, oh, it should have been anybody but Gato at the end. And then, days removed. There's so I, many people that have that opinion because they just know yeah. Gato from and, all the other bullshit that he does. But my opinion... Over his career. Like, after like ruminating on it is that this guy is underdog he obviously is not the better wrestler he just got the better of him and like pulled it out yep. which is something that i do love but like while i was watching i was like ah wouldn't shouldn't this be ultimo shouldn't this be uh, like otani or like you know pegasus like but gato it's not like he didn't do it he just didn't do it as crispy as well as clean as those guys did but that adds to the realism that i'm always like pioneering and pushing for mm-hmm. so like in hindsight i like was like oh no like maybe it wasn't an act that he wasn't able to do those things that clean but uh, it adds to the like you know triumph of his performance in that same way because it's not like he's a bad wrestler. It's, yeah, it's just kind of bizarre that it's like, oh, Gato yeah. and Liger. But then Gato is like slopping around and still pulling off the move. Like he doesn't miss the big moves. They just don't necessarily look great. Just fine. As long as, as long as it looks like it hurt and it looks like it hit, then sometimes that slop is nice it's like when there's a botch that's recovered and it adds to realism so in hindsight i'm less uh upset and honestly happier that gato was there than i thought that i was even when i turned the show off any other opinions you guys want to throw out there didn't expect naniwa to be fucking 
ready. That not a one liger. Like I thought the, the first match was the first match. Funny. was fun. I liked. Like, it I had a lot of fun. It was a perfect perfect start, honestly. But then when Nanawa faced Liger and like it was still fun, but Nanawa turned it up a notch as yeah. well and showed that he could go. He jump started him. Pearl yeah. harbored him. He was yeah, like, I, I gotta go. It's Liger. Like, oh damn. Yeah. Yeah. He's, exactly. He's more than just comic relief. Yeah, um, it's not Yano. Like no. Or like yeah, he's he's not doing comedy because he, he like is an okay wrestler. He's a good wrestler that is just kind of a goofball. We're just talking. We're just, just talking, talking okay. really. We're just jawing about this yeah, incredible you show. Out, you can do out anything you want. I wouldn't say the. I'm just as much as I enjoyed the Mysterio and Psychosis match. I'm done seeing Mysterio and Psychosis fight each other and only each other. So I'm I'm ready to see them. Yeah, this feels like new mix-ups. the end of like a trilogy that's from different spots. You know. Yeah, because like, I mean they've basically had a worldwide feud. And they have. It's it's time to. They've, yeah, they've, sh- else. they've shown up in all the places that they need to show up to prove to everybody what they can do. And I'd like to see them wrestle other people. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not, not going to skip through one of their matches. Oh. The next show no. has a I'm, I'm Mysterio by no means match. see Mysterio be lawn darted into the side of a trailer. But no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm just ready to see him go in there with a Mikey Whipwreck or... Yeah. I also loved, Saturn or something. loved the, I mean, obviously this is incredibly a hot crowd and it's a war promotion. So it was fun to see, uh, who got the pops and like some of the cheers, like there's some Otani cheers in the dragon match. Cause like Otani is like, I don't know if new Japan was, I assume new Japan was bigger than war at the moment, but like it's a war promoted event. So like, it's a very mixed crowd in a very rich wrestling landscape at the time where there is like great wrestling happening all throughout Tokyo at all fucking times of the week. And this is a sold out show under the title of war. But, uh, when, you know, you can hear the group people pulling for Otani, even though dragon got the bigger pop, it's just, uh, it's nice. This is like, we've watched interpromotional shows, but like, this is truly an inter-promotional show in that, like, some of the guys you expected to go further or didn't go further. One that has a little something for everybody without stuff that's going to bore the shit out of anybody. Yeah. No gar- Yeah, there's no fucking garbage here at all. There's one, one spot on the floor that is not somebody fall- like attacking somebody that is on the floor. Like, and it's Chris Benoit doing... Duplexing Gato into the side of a table. Yeah, and, and it's but it's done, like, intelligently and quick, and I couldn't be more happy about the intelligence of the floor spots, because there's tons of them in each match, but nobody's waiting around to catch somebody. Nope. Not once. And they all... Everybody's at the top of their game. Like, everyone knows that this is potentially the biggest night of their career. And for most of these guys, it is. It's 11,000 people. These guys fucking got paid. Whether they lost or not, fuckers got paid. And then everybody fucking showed up and earned their paycheck. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish... The NWA World's Heavyweight Championship had been vacant 
for close to a year, when the NWA had decided to make it the ultimate prize for the winner of the G1 Climax in 1992. Sixteen men from around the world would compete in a single elimination tournament that would see Masahiro Chono and Rick Rude meet in the finals on August 12, 1992, in Tokyo, Japan. Chono would control early on with working limbs, only for Rick to fire back with a pile driver and a top rope dropkick. Rude would go to a camel clutch, with Masahiro escaping with an electric chair drop but missing a top rope clothesline, allowing Rick to hit another missile dropkick. The two men would trade superplexes, followed by Rude going for a tombstone pile driver, only for Chono to reverse it into one of his own. Masahiro would then apply the STF, only for it to be too close to the ropes, allowing Rick to recover to deliver another pile driver and a top rope knee drop for a near fall. Chono would fire up to hit a back body drop and go to the STF, but decides to head up top for a flying clothesline once more, landing it this time for the pin to become the 43rd NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Masahiro Chono would defend the title all over the world until he would meet a fellow champion at the Dome. Are the biggest like like kind of what ifs? There's probably plenty in wrestling. Uh, Magnum TA. Magnum TA. Rick Rude getting hurt. Mm. Rick Rude was yes. like in his prime. He was finally like I think it his prime of ring work and character work. And then Owen. And, yeah, Owen. And then of course Owen. Um, but it, yeah, obviously uh, Owen could call. I was gonna say either the screw job or. Screw job is a call. Screw job is a big one for sure. Curtain call also big, but I, I mean, feel like TA because if the curtain whole... the curtain call hadn't happened, Triple H Triple wins H that H year wins. instead of Austin. Yeah. yeah, Austin may have never been a thing if not for the curtain. Call. He would have found a way. I mean, I think, but we but all it, believe yeah. that. Yes, but we don't know. But we don't know. Yeah, because there's plenty of guys where it's like, fuck. Yeah, Bret Hart dying in WCW is. Something that I think about a lot and it hurts. <laughs> TA, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, there's less famous video of that. And, like, who knows if he would have been a good champion or what have you. But we know that we know what Bret Hart can do. And there were so many wasted years of Bret yeah. Hart. What if Marty Jannetty sent Shawn Michaels through the barbershop window um, instead? Marty Jannetty still would have had a drug problem. <laughs> Next week, in your house five. We're already on number five. We are hot diggity dog. They're quick. They started nice, and they've been pretty mediocre since. Maybe five will step up a notch. Cool. That's we'll get a Brett title match. It's true. It's always a plus. We'll have a Diesel title match. It's not. I, I imagine it's not against Diesel. Don't it tell me it's not. Don't tell me it's against Diesel. It is not. It's already looking up, going into it. It's a rematch from a couple years ago. Sounds, sounds nice. I think I have an idea. Music from this week's show is the War theme song. And Jushin Thunder Liger won our main event and the tournament. So we play his theme music, Akari no Jushin by Yumi Hiroki. 
If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast app. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Watch this five-star show, then come back and listen to this five-star show. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns... Recipes, guess where we're going. We're going to Philly. No, we're not going to Philly. We're going no. to Pennsylvania. Close Philly. Philly. No, we're going to Hershey. Yeah. Oh. Well, you can just get some chocolate. Mediocre chocolate. <laughs> yeah, so if you're familiar with Hershey, send me some ideas. Drinks. Maybe I'm wearing chocolate milk. Chocolate yeah. martini. Ooh. I hope that's not a thing. It is. Is it? Okay. But you can send those to our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.